We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? I like men like that. Men who give me pleasure. I've never had feelings like this. I have to get them into some sort of order. If you have to talk, remember to ask lots of work questions if you want more than a yes or no answer. You'll just have an exam. You just take them to the lavatory and you have sex with them. Weird not having anybody come on you. Hey, we're back. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Mary. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Fresh off the boat from Ibiza. Well, oh, yeah. plane. And not that fresh because I travel very badly, but you know, home. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you. I'm so excited to be back in September. And like, it's just, we were talking before, but August is such a rubbish month. Mm. And September is the best month. Yes, it is. 100%. Yeah, and it's going to be a full moon soon Mm -hmm. in September. So I've got my ritual all planned out. Um, I'm excited. Oh, you do yours too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like already I feel like a shift in the air. Like I'm super energized by the autumn and I'm excited. Yeah, same. I feel like much, much better, much happier, much more productive. Actually, I did my ritual in Ibiza with all of the girls I kind of like led the ritual mm-hmm. and showed them all how to do it but I think I'm going to do it again now that I'm here on my own because it's hard to concentrate when you do it with a bunch of people <laughs> pretty central like, yeah <laughs> I need to kind of I need to do it take it seriously so I'm going to do it again as well maybe the full moon is a good idea yeah good idea yeah, yeah. perfect amazing <laughs> and we've been looking at the London Film Festival program oh so exciting God. it looks so good yes, it, it looks does. so good and we haven't been that nice about the London Film Festival <laughs> sometimes it's probably mm-hmm. not a good thing to say on a podcast because you know PR but like now I'm looking at this program I wonder if we unfairly maligned the London Film Festival <laughs> and maybe I in particular have been unfairly maligning cinema maybe it's not like it's just rubbish maybe it's just covid Mm-hmm. where it hasn't been as good and I feel like we're coming out of that because like from the look of that program there's some real bangers yeah I for feel sure. excited for the first time in a long time about what's on at the cinema in the next year oh so. same oh my gosh absolutely like just just that wonderful scene last night at the Venice Film Festival of the whale and Brendan Fraser I had a little cry like a little <laughs> tear yeah, me it was too. just so beautiful. Also, I mean, oh my God, the outfits at Venice Film Festival. Yeah. Did you see Mia Goth? I did. Wow. Amazing. Stunning. Amazing. And Florence Pugh just came in in like a purple like shorts and shirt combo. Mm-hmm. Like she looks like kind of like a slacker. Like she looks like yeah. she looks like a sort of glorious version of like um, John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson when they have to borrow to Quentin Tarantino's clothes in Pulp Fiction you know like it's like why is she wearing that this kind of looks amazing pulled it off she pulled it off 100% yeah she looked good she looks good and also like the Olivia Wilde discourse continues 
from yeah, last from yeah. that we were talking about last week. I'm starting to feel sorry for Olivia Wilde now because no. it's just going, really not going her way. She's getting like terrible reviews for the film. She's got oh. all of this drama. Shia LaBeouf's like risen from the dead and like is like posting her like video messages to him. Jesus. I now I kind of want to go to the film and like it because I just feel so sorry for her. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I kind of hope someone is like taking footage of this whole like PR process because it should be a documentary on its own. Like, yeah, 100%. 100%. Fallout from the release of this movie. It's crazy. Like, it's only her second film, guys. Like, why <laughs> are we even talking about it that much? <laughs> like, I know. It's really not a big deal. It's not that deep. It's really not. But I don't know. This is what happens when like Hollywood like pushes people to, you know, like when we make a big deal about something we don't really know anything about yet. Mm-hmm. That is like, so true. We do Amen all the time. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of people out there prejudging movies they haven't even seen and forming opinions exactly like some of the opinions we've seen about the whale already yeah exactly i mean i'm gonna go ahead and just predict that the whale is gonna win the golden lion at the festival good prediction i'm not gonna take that bet because i think you're probably right (laughs) i mean maybe there's other stuff but i can't think Mm. of anything else yeah (laughs) ariaster's film isn't ready yet is it no, I really was expecting to see it in this festival and it's like, it's not in London either. It's not in Toronto. Like, what's happening with this movie? I don't know. Maybe. Well, someone told me, my friend Nick Madassi, shout out uh-huh. to my friend Nick Madassi, who doesn't listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he told me that it's four hours long. Oh Apparently it's four hours long. And I was a bit like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm not happy about that. Um What else? Oh, yeah. I wanted to say that we saw an amazing tweet from one of you listeners, something like, are you a Sarah or a Mary? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very intriguing question. (laughs) And uh, we actually ran this poll on Instagram, but we're going to run it on Twitter as well. So be sure to follow us at projections pod yeah we want to see if we have different results on different social media platforms yeah actually i have something related to that to tell you yes um so you know i did a a zodiac screening at the end of august and it was like um with with final girls berlin who you've uh, you've been in their festival haven't you? i have yeah that's amazing that you collabed with them yeah it's the second time we've collabed and they just like program sort of best of strands of sort of Mm -hmm. like films that have been in their festival and it was um did this short Q&A with this great director called Faye Jackson and it was all sci-fi films to go with the Castle Cinema's Summer of Sci-Fi mm. um, lovely audience and I was having a drink with a friend after and this guy came over and he was like um, I really like the podcast Oh, and then he like bought me and Laura drinks, and him and his friend came and sat down, and like we just talked for the like the rest of the evening. Wow. And it was really lovely. And um, his name is Virgil, and shout out to him because he immediately became a con- uh, a regular contributor to us. He's, oh. he's set up a, a monthly donation, which is very very lovely. And he said, I I he said my friend embarrassed me the other day because she tweeted at me, "Are you a Sarah or a Mary?" and I couldn't answer the question. Oh my god, so that was the tweet. That was the tweet. How crazy is that? 
Wow, incredible. Yeah, so I mean, he says that he's listening from the beginning, so he probably won't get to the shout out for weeks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, when you do, thank you very much for your donation. And it was very lovely to meet you. And actually, I owe him a link to a film that I said I would send him and didn't do. Um, so hopefully I would have done that by the time he gets to this episode. Um, so yeah, that's it was really nice. Like how do you ever get to meet listeners? And yeah. I didn't expect to meet like a Zodiac person and a you know it's like it's not always that the two things cross over or like people realize yeah. it's the same person so it was nice it was nice to have like as a, a projections listener at a zodiac event I love that yeah that so, is so cool and so, yeah. thank you so much Virgil for your donation and for listening thank you very much Virgil <laughs> and speaking of Zodiac, what is around the corner? What's in store in the fall for Zodiac? Well, we haven't announced the film yet. Okay. We're going to be doing a screening on Halloween at the Garden Cinema. Amazing. Um, and yeah, I'm in the midst of planning it and I'm going to make it a special one because it's been two years since we've done a Halloween screening due to COVID. Oh, wow. A long time. It's been a long time since we've done a Halloween screening. So I want to make it a big one. Oh, this is going to be a special event. Exactly. I hope oh, you'll see that. It's going to be so good. Yes, definitely. Amazing. I'm actually teaching for the Freud Museum on that day, but it finishes at five. Okay, well, that's perfect because I don't think we're screening until like eight. So oh, perfect. We've got a good I can just swing by. Yeah, and it's just after your birthday as well. So I'll probably yeah. see you a lot that weekend. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Also, for you listeners, I know that you're waiting impatiently for me and Mary to watch the Army Hammer documentary. And we're going to be doing that this weekend and we will record an episode soon. Um, yeah. Don't worry, it's coming. You will not have to navigate this alone. <laughs> yeah, we are there with you on this Army Hammer journey. Oh, we really are. Oh my God, so exciting. <laughs> I know, I can't wait. I just, yeah, I cannot believe it. I can't it. wait. I, yeah, very excited. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, actually, I have gone back and listened to our episode where we go through his DMs. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I'm extremely proud of that episode. Like, it's one it's of our so most good. listened to episodes, at least on Spotify. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think most listened to is Zizek, obviously. Yeah. Because um, he's a rock star. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, Army Hammer is up there as well so yeah it was wow. a good choice it was a good choice to do that yeah yeah and it was an inspired choice uh, by you actually because um I was sort of like vaguely following the story and when you suggested we record on it I just did, like I fell down the rabbit hole and I had a very very fun time <laughs> I'm really pleased to have dragged you down <laughs> yeah it was amazing yeah, and I've already seen a little bit of discourse around this House of Hammer documentary. Apparently, one of the ladies who's come forward and participated has said that she felt that the filmmaker exploited her trauma. Mm. So that makes me even more curious to know what's going on in this movie. Same. Same. You know? I mean, like, come on, it's like, it's ridiculous. Yes, <laughs> like... it is. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> why do people think that documentaries are like in police investigations like, exactly it's we've not, been, yeah. it's not, I mean it's not like I'm not sorry I'm not like saying that people are stupid I'm saying that like no, no. there's been like there's been a fraud perpetrated on people exactly by like, documentaries in the last sort of 10 years mm -hmm. but anyway we'll talk more about that when we do this episode. yes yeah definitely mm -hmm. yeah 
yeah, I've really been enjoying this erotic cinema journey with you. I feel like I'm like we're already on like topic five taboo. Yeah. So exciting because we get to talk about my favorite film in this whole series, nine and a half weeks. But it's like, I don't want this series to end. I want to just be like exclusively an erotic cinema podcast. Well, I, I mean, there are like so many that we didn't get to do. I mean, we've already kind of like, we'll reveal more next week, but we've already kind of maybe had an idea for another episode. Yeah. So like we can extend it, but I'm sure this will not be the last erotic themed job we will do together. That sounded really weird. <laughs> Sarah, you got me even more interested now. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think it would be possible. (laughs) No, but it's but for real, like it is so much fun, and and we will definitely bring this topic back. Yeah, we're bound to. I think we should look into doing some doing some screenings, maybe. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, like now that cinema is kind of up and running again, like let's collaborate. Let's do something. Yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. Let's combine projections and zodiac. Let's like do a a thing. God, that would be a dream. Amazing. Yeah. (laughs) So, which one should we start with first? Well, i i have i I just have nine and a half weeks, and then Itumama Tambien written down in that order. But Mm. it's up to you. I'm not totally sure I'm actually really interested to talk Mm. to you about nine and a half weeks Mm. because it's similar to like we've done a few films in the past where I haven't thought very highly of the film before I spoke to you like Mm -hmm. Pretty Woman I remember being like why would we do that and then it was like one of the most amazing episodes (laughs) and um uh what's the Glenn Close movie no no it wasn't the Glenn Close movie it was Single White Female yeah Um, I remember like and not really knowing where we would go and then so I'm really interested because Nine and a Half Weeks is not a film that really appeals to me and Mm -hmm. so I'm very very excited for you to undoubtedly talk me around Oh, well, challenge accepted. I would love to <laughs> I would love to bring you over to my side on it. I mean, even if you don't fully love it as much as I do, I truly just rate this movie so much. So any excuse to talk about it is fun for me. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to what you've got to have to say. I haven't okay. seen it for a long time. Uh, mm. I think I probably first watched it in my early 20s. Okay. And then, yeah, and then obviously the other night, so... Yeah, okay. Also, can you, if you can remember what my boyfriend Alex's mm. insight was about Utsumama Tambien, that'd be great because I told him and he was like, I have no idea what I said. <laughs> I, can re- I remember. <laughs> okay, good. It was pretty unforgettable. I was like, hashtag mind blown. Oh, amazing. <laughs> so, which one do you think we should do first? I think let's start with Itumama Tambien because I want to save the best for last. Okay, amazing. <laughs> so, um, quite a long synopsis to this one. Okay. So Itumama Tambien, 2001, um, Alfonso Cuaron, yeah. is that how you say it? Yeah. Um, who directed my beloved A Little Princess. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> the best. So good. Um, so, best friends, working class Julio and upper class Tenok, is that how you say it? Yeah. Are left with, I'm going to say that a lot over this, over the course of the <laughs> are left with little to do over the summer when their girlfriends travel to Italy together. At a wedding, they meet Luisa, a beautiful older woman who is married to Tenok's cousin, Yano. The boys try to impress Luisa by inviting her to a beautiful secluded beach called Heaven's Mouth, which they happen to have made up on the spot. The next day, they are surprised when Luisa calls up to accept their invitation. The three begin a road trip where it becomes apparent that all three are harboring secrets. 
Mm, perfect. Yeah. So when did you first see this movie? As a teenager. Um, okay. I had this friend called, well, my friend Martha moved schools in sixth form and she made a friend called Susie, who I still know and I still see every couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and me and Susie just kind of formed this bond which involved Susie coming over to my house with like controversial movies. Uh-huh. Um, so this was one of the films that she brought and she also brought Baze Moi. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, and so, yeah, that's the first time I saw this film. And at the time I remember thinking like, I was already fancying the two lead guys. Yeah. Um, and now I watch it. I'm just like, they're disgusting teenage boys. <laughs> like, <laughs> <so gross. laughs> that's so funny. Um, but it also like, yeah, I obviously I loved it then and I love it now. It's a great film. Yeah, it is great. I remember seeing it pretty soon after it released on DVD. Yeah, like around 2002 or something. I watched it and it was like very late at night. I just felt that this urge to go on a joyride. Oh my so God. Amazing. I, I stuck out and I, I still lived at home and I like barred my dad's car and just like, I remember like just laying out in front of the video store on the grass because I had to return the DVD. <laughs> I, I was like sort of intoxicated by the movie. I, I don't know. I felt like I was on drugs. Yeah, I think it is intoxicating, especially when you're young. Yeah. Like it is really intoxicating. Definitely. Yeah. That sounds like a great story though. You were such a rebellious teenager. I never did anything like that. <laughs> It was the first time I'd ever seen boys kissing each other like that. I'd oh, never interesting. Seen, I'd never seen, like, I know, maybe I've, I was probably very, very sheltered. Well, no, I think, honestly, like, it wasn't that a mainstream because I remember mm-hmm. um, there being a, a storyline on EastEnders when I was little mm-hmm. about, um, about two gay men called Simon and Tony. I still remember it. Okay. Um, and that's when I found out about gay men, like I didn't know before. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I remember my mum, like my mum, saying to me, "Your uncle Patrick is gay." And then I was, I was like, "Really?" And she was like, "But you can't talk to Granddad about it." And I was, and I burst into tears, and I was like, "We can't talk to Grand, we can't tell Granddad about anything." <laughs> like, like <laughs> and I cry. Oh, like, that's so sweet. I was like, I learned a lot in like ten minutes just because of EastEnders. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think I was about seven or something I was so young but I remember that being like quite I think that might have been quite historic um like gay kiss on tv yeah. like maybe like I don't know if it's like the first gay kiss on tv or like the first gay kiss like pre-watershed or something like that like I remember and that was like what like 1995 or something wow. yeah so like I guess yeah so I guess like it's I think it it's only recently quite a mainstream thing. Like that kind of stuff happened yeah. for the first sort of first time in the nineties. Yeah. It was sort of integrated into like almost like a n- normal media. Yeah. Exactly. Normalized which is crazy. media or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, which is crazy. Absolutely. That it took that long. Mm-hmm. But I think that actually this movie is very good at utilizing the taboo function to like, find its appeal oh yes okay let's talk about taboo (laughs) the psychoanalytic perspective on taboo of course is uh, very very integral to our discussion today and taboo the normal definition of it is a social or religious custom that prohibits 
or restricts a particular practice. Mm-hmm. So like society or religions forbidding like associating with a particular person, like a gay person or any particular like activity, like the stuff that they do in nine and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there is actually a text by Freud called Totem and Taboo where he applies psychoanalysis to the fields of archaeology, anthropology, and religion. It was published in 1913. It's actually a collection of four essays inspired by Wilhelm Wundt and Carl Jung. Mm -hmm. And he proposes that all modern forms of socialization are shaped by the primitive culture of origin. And he sort of starts to state that behaviors of conformity spring from a common primitive form. And he mentions um, a totem as a symbol that is common to a group of people. And typically members who are of the same totem are prohibited from breeding. So then copulating within that group becomes a taboo. Right. Okay. It's this whole idea around preventing what is deemed to be the taboo. Uh, Group membership is organized around that. Um, So he cites like in the text, incest being a very common taboo, even in ancient, you know, very primitive times, people took care to avoid incestuous relations. I think very importantly to psychoanalysis, he said that sexual repression causes these extreme avoidances. So there's something there about the formulation of the taboo that is rooted in something that we've already repressed that is taboo. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. That's very that, like the sequence of that is interesting. And he did say that like advanced societies no longer have to rely on avoidances, but I would disagree with that. I 100% disagree with that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially like on social media, I feel like so much is taboo now. Yeah, I think we have more taboos than ever before. Yeah, I feel like we're very repressed. But what what he says, interestingly, is that even in modern societies, like on the surface, at the conscious level, we swear we don't have any taboos. Maybe that's the kind of differentiation. Yeah, We're saying consciously like, oh, no, no, I'm super liberated. You know, anything goes. But actually, there are some deeply repressed primitive urges that have had to be kind of like put out of sight and hopefully out of mind that that's not how it works with repression. It's always something that preoccupies if it's being repressed. And so then that sort of starts to dominate our conscious outlook. Weirdly enough, we become very obsessed with the things that we've made taboo. Oh my um, god, that's like such an amazing description of all the times that we live in currently. We are totally obsessed with the things that are taboo. Like we cannot, yeah. we cannot stop talking about them. Yeah, we're obsessed with the unsayable. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So actually, this book is good in terms of like dealing with emotional ambivalence around taboo practices. Freud actually explains uh, taboo as something that is prevented by society without reason, Mm -hmm. that a taboo does not spontaneously exist. Like at one point, the taboo had meaning, but the significance has since been lost to time. So the taboo is seen as something dangerous and having dire consequences, but no one knows why. Like it's been 
taboo for such a long time that its original implication is no longer traceable? I mean, like that really reminds me of this book that Alex got me for Christmas because uh -huh. um, we read uh, like the most hilarious review of it in the London Review of Books. And it was about um, like zoophilia, like uh -huh. uh, bestiality. Yeah. And like it really, that really reminds me of this academic because like, she wrote this like, it's a great book. It's really interesting. Uh, it's called Loving Animals. And like she keeps and she sort of keeps like claiming that like, you know, there's no real like, re like there's no sort of real logical reason like why like why sort of like having sex with animals is disgusting and I just want to be like because it's icky like <laughs> because it's icky like can't that be reason enough it's, just, yeah. but it's, it's so yeah it's funny but yeah you're right like it's hard to yeah it's hard to like rationally explain it in exactly. a way that is objective and like dispassionate it's true because like if you want to be dispassionate like if like if we can all be on like birth control then there's no reason why we shouldn't be having sex with our family <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. exactly that makes yeah that is it I mean it's so bothersome but it's like we can't we can't ex extricate that icky feeling while talking about it exactly it's really hard and it's really interesting actually I you know how I um post when I, I've stopped doing it for a, a while because when mm. I post um when I finish reading a book I post it on Twitter just to kind of I like, have a little yeah. record um and when I posted that book I got like a few like dms from people being like I'm really happy to see that like, people are sort of open to this and open to and I was like oh my god leave me alone <laughs> like oh I got like I was I got like accepted into the bestiality community. Yeah. I was like, guys, I was really just reading this for a joke. Like, I'm sorry. Oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I suppose like what Freud's saying there about taboo and the way that it functions, how it's so intriguing when something is forbidden, right? When something is made like icky, let's say. And so I feel like this movie skirts around that in such a masterful way and like constantly flirts with the taboo element. And it doesn't try to, it doesn't ever try to correct itself. Like it's not like a woke movie that tries to like banish homophobia or anything, mm -hmm. but it's sort of, it's sort of like acknowledging the homophobia while also engaging with it in a very true to life way. Yeah. In like a real way that people would just genuinely be curious because there is so much homoeroticism between these two boys. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like they really <laughs> fancy each other and they're really good friends. You're right. Like the every I don't know, it's like that is kind of like what is revealed. Like all their every kind of all their secrets are to do with I don't know, like there's the thing where they like reveal they slept with each other's girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, it's just very clearly – I always think, like, when people sleep with, like, the uh -huh. partner of someone they know, uh -huh. it's, like, much more about the feelings towards the yes. person that they know than the person, like, the partner. Yeah. Like, very, very much so. And, like, yeah, and I think this is such a good – such a good film in the way that it kind of explores that. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's so – the reason why it's so enticing to watch – and we really go on this journey with them. It is a road trip movie, right? Mm -hmm. They go on a physical material journey, like throughout, through like this landscape. 
And the lady that's with them, she's sort of like a red herring, really. She's sort of like the the excuse they need to get close. She's kind of like the manic pixie dream girl of homosexuality. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like it's sort of the the excuse that sort of absolves them of the harshness of the taboo. Mm-hmm. So they go on this journey and they're kind of in this very liberated liminal space outside of their daily routine and the pressures of their families and their society. So now they're in this like rule-free space where they can really explore their deepest desires, things that they strongly feel, but they could never articulate. And I love the way that this movie continues to like lean into the taboo element. It doesn't try to break it down. That's where I feel like we're going wrong with a lot of like modern day discourse on sexuality. It's so hell bent on breaking taboos. I think that's the, I think like that's just sucking the horniness out of sex. Oh, like 100%. I, you yeah. know, like we need the taboo. We need something to feel guilty about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to say that like, obviously there should never be any discrimination or anything like that. Of course, equality laws should exist. I'm just talking strictly at the level of the experiential reality of sex. Well, I think that's like, it's what makes the difference between an erotic film and a drama. Mm. Like, because, you know, if you want to compare this to like, um, if you want to talk about like bringing back Army Hammer, um, <laughs> what is the peach film? The, with oh. the, the little with the little pretty guy. <laughs> What's wrong um, with me? Call me by your name. Call me by your name. Like, because <laughs> Call Me By Your Name is like a film without that breaks down taboo like completely. So yeah. there doesn't appear to be any taboo, even like with like there's an age gap and yeah. like um and so and like so it's a period drama. It's like a merchant ivory film. Well it is an ivory film, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Um whereas this like that's what makes the difference between like that kind of film which isn't actually not erotic as much as people tout it as being an erotic film it's not no it's not and this which is like a fully fledged erotic like piece of erotic cinema it's so hot Mm -hmm. and i think that's maybe what unites all of the films that we have in the list is that they're all kind of they all like hold up sort of taboo like yeah as you say they all like contain a certain amount of taboo and they don't try and like argue it away Wow. Yes, exactly. Well put. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not fighting against it. They're not resisting the taboo. They're just surrendering to it. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah, that's exactly the difference where now we're watching like a pure erotic film. Watching this movie Tu Mama Tambien, I think it's sexy and I do feel like it's arousing. It is sexy. It was sexier when I was a teenager. Yeah. Just because I do find them gross. <laughs> because they're just so they're just so young. <laughs> like now that I'm like, oh no. <laughs> I think it's the farting in the car that I can't oh, get past. Yeah. I just can't I can't get past it. Like I can't like not think about it <laughs> when it gets to the end of the film. It does spoil the mood. It does. It really does. I was really worried for her being in a car with them for a long time. <laughs> Yeah, they don't have the best hygiene. No, they don't. <laughs> but that whole scene where they're like doing tequila shots and dancing, like the whole prelude to the the moment, yeah. you know, I thought that was, I, I love that whole thing. Like I 
found it very absorbing. Like I felt like I was in it. Mm-hmm. And I thought what they were, what they were doing was so funny. And now this is where we get to uh, your boyfriend's interpretation. Oh, okay. And forgive me, Alex, if I've completely botched what you said, but this is what I remember from it because I played that scene in the class at the Freud Museum. And he said that the reason why it becomes so exciting is because she breaks the fourth wall. Yes. Oh, my God. That's so true. And I was thinking, like, I forgot that she breaks the fourth wall. Yeah. And, like, I was I was like, this is maybe my favorite fourth wall break of all time. Yeah. Sorry, continue, though. No, you're quite right. I mean, I hadn't thought about it before he said it, but he's like, she knows something they don't know. Yes. She's looking at the audience. She's like gazing at us watching as if to say, I'm in control. Now watch what I do. Mm -hmm. It's like she sort of breaks down all their resistances so that they think they're just like, you know, they're safe. They're still flirting with a woman. Right. But the thing is, she's simply facilitating. She's just the lubricant (laughs) for whatever it is they want to do with each other. She's simply like facilitating that encounter. I feel like it's so, like, I feel like I'm so right then in calling her a manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. <laughs> but like really in a yeah. not annoying way. No. Basically. Because it did slightly, it was slightly like, I yeah, I was uneasy about, by her. Like I was felt uneasy about her participation in this film because she really is only there to sort of facilitate this like coming of age experience for them. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I told you that this was the first kiss I'd seen on screen mm-hmm. by, between two guys. But actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it was actually the second kiss because I'd seen Velvet Goldmine. Of course. Not long before that. But somehow that didn't register as erotic in the same way. Yeah. It, it seemed much more performative, whereas this just seemed hot. This convinced me that the performers were like genuinely into each other. You're completely right. Like, I didn't really realize that that fourth wall break signals to us that, like, some, you know, that everything that you said, that she's in control, that she's going to facilitate something. She knows something they don't know. Yeah. But that is what makes it really sexy. Exactly. Like, because the sex prior to that moment isn't sexy. No. No, um, exactly. Like, none of it. Like, it, it, like, opens with a sex scene and it's not sexy. No, not at all. Um, so, and this is what, like, makes it, a, that's just when it kind of transitions to erotic. And, yeah, you're so right. Like, that's so powerful. That's how you do a manic pixie dream girl. Yeah, this is the, this is the best way to do it. Yeah, because she does seem like she's not really a real person. Mm. Like, the fact that she kind of, like, just ceases to exist a month after, like, because she has this sort of cancer and she's yeah. dying. Like, but she doesn't look like she's dying and she doesn't look ill. She doesn't seem ill. No, not at all. So, so she's got kind of a mystical quality. Yeah, exactly. It's like she's, is she, is she really just the part of them that that's dying that, like, you know, their wall breaking down, hence why she breaks the fourth wall. Yeah, maybe. Like, that's the, that's the kind of collapsing agency of her. Yeah, that's so interesting. Because she she literally, like, places herself between them while they're dancing. Yeah. Right? She is like a wall between them. And the fact that she's dying could just mean, like, 
the barriers are coming down. Like they're more open to like actually admit their feelings. Yeah, that's really good. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, I just, I really love this movie for that because I, I just, I think this is like excellent filmmaking for that because it doesn't try to moralize. Like it seems to inherently understand the condition of the taboo, like the logic of the taboo mm-hmm. and situated in a way that actually benefits the sex havers. Yeah, it's true. Because there's not, it's not like the only taboo between them is their sexuality Mm. or their genders, actually, because they have a lot of like taboos between them because they have different classes. Exactly. And they're like uncomfortable at each other's houses. Yeah. And so like, yeah, so there's like actually a lot to kind of be broken down between them. It's not just about, it's not actually just about like sexuality. No, no, it's the the entire like assumptions about their character based on their class. Mm. You're so right. That is, that is absolutely true. I'm all for this kind of thing where we show the joy of like a whole spectrum of like sexuality. You can have, you know, any type of sexual orientation. It doesn't matter. But I would prefer as like a spectator and a voyeur <laughs> to um, I would I would prefer to see the participants like acknowledge the taboo as well, like a nod to the taboo, because it fuels desire at the end of the day. Like mm-hmm. it informs the way that you have the sexual encounter. So to 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 kind of pretend that you live in this taboo free bubble where you're super liberated and you're super open-minded. I just don't buy that. No, me neither. And it's also like there's something really, I don't know, there's something kind of bullying about it. Yeah. <laughs> like to insist that there's no taboo. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's not, yeah. It's... I just think we're setting ourselves up to fail mm-hmm. because it, that, that's an impossible standard to live up to. Um, you're always going to have loose ends with like trauma and repressed st- stuff and, you know, misinformation about sex growing up, like bad sex education, whatever. And there just will be taboos, things that we cannot even articulate, like they're unsymbolized. They're so old that we've like inherited them. Yeah, we've inherited them or we've like gathered them from our like pre-verbal stage exactly like how can we possibly expect to apply like logical grown-up like utopian thinking to yeah. our like pre-verbal stage exactly that's so well put it would be very naive to try and do that mm-hmm. so I love how this film doesn't attempt to do that like it just leans into that taboo element and we get this like sensational sizzling scene for it it's an amazing scene. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Do we even say what it, what it is that they do? Have I, I'm just like alluding to it, but we never actually said what the scene is. Well, they have like what is referred to as like a threesome, but it's not. No. <laughs> like <a> threesome. Not. <laughs> <laughs> no because she disappears. <laughs> she disappears. And they just take up the whole frame. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's implied that she goes down on them at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then they kiss each other. And then and they wake up in bed together and she's not there. And she's not there, exactly. Yeah. Have you ever read Glamorama by Bray Sinellis? No, I haven't. That has like the hottest threesome <gasps> in like literature. Oh my God. Ever. It's so amazing. 
really yeah it's really good i have it on audiobook hey there you go listen to it it's really good it's like right at the end um excellent Mm-hmm. Oh, that was beautiful. That was beautifully put. Like, I feel like we don't really need to explore it that much more because mm. it all really does rest on that scene, on that like sequence, yeah. doesn't it? I think so. And it's interesting because like it was longer synopsis than like usual. Yeah, that's kind of because it doesn't get to the point until the end of the film. Yes, exactly. It, like it really doesn't. You don't really understand what's going on mm. until the end of the film. And also, I think it's significant that they make up a destination. That's right. Like, because it does imply that they are sort of, it does like, it, it kind of adds to the mystical quality of like Louisa and the journey. Yeah. Like it adds to the symbolic quality of it, that they get somewhere that they don't know exists. And like, they like, but they had like the wherewithal to make it up in the first place. Yeah. Like, so it's like, it's about like, they know something they don't know they know. Exactly. <laughs> wow. And she's just sort of like, um, a sort of human manifestation of their desire exactly and no one knows that they're with her yes exactly no yeah no one knows afterwards and no one knows at the time yeah so they could not be basically oh exactly it's it's very romantic it's very romantic (laughs) i never really looked at it like that but it's so romantic i think once you stop thinking of it as a threesome film exactly like it actually makes a lot more sense as a film yeah 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 <laughs> oh we could have done the dreamers in this series oh, yeah. speaking of recent films um next time next time next time yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay on to nine and a half weeks oh my god the moment has finally arrived the fashion resistance. resistance yeah so excited okay um nine and a half weeks 1986 adrian line Mm-hmm. Soho gallery assistant Elizabeth McGraw has become reserved and introverted due to a recent divorce. When she meets and is romantically pursued by Wall Street arbitrager <laughs> John Gray, their relationship quickly begins to push her boundaries. As John's demands grow ever more extreme, Elizabeth becomes increasingly isolated and volatile. Mm-hmm. What is the what is it with the name Gray in erotic? I know. Is, is Christian this the Gray? Christian Gray and the guy E. Edward Gray and the secretary. Oh yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Gray thing. area. Gray area. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> gray matter. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> There's nothing rational going on here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have you read the book that is no, based no, on half weeks no i haven't oh my god highly highly recommend this really? book really interesting yeah. okay yeah one of my all-time favorite books ever oh my god i didn't even know i didn't even think actually i think i did know it was a book so i think my friend bought it because she's mm-hmm. like collecting erotic books mm-hmm. um so i think she might have bought it but i would never have it would never have i always thought when I saw it, I thought, oh, is that like one of those movie novels that they write after the movie? Mm-hmm. Ah, interesting. Okay. No, the book was published in 1978. It's extremely filthy. It makes this movie look like a Disney movie. Oh, that's good to know. I say that with the utmost affection because I love the movie, but the book is much more risque and much more extreme. Mm. Why, uh, Mary, is this movie so quiet? Why is everybody whispering? <laughs> <laughs> oh my 
my god you're right they are it's really annoying like it was really hard to get like I couldn't get a quote for the intro because everyone is whispering all the time and then there's like really loud music I don't like the music in this film as well I really hate all of the songs and so it's just not my kind of thing at all and so it was just like oh my god I'm like turning it up when they speak and then turning it down when the music comes I spent the entire movie turning it up and down (laughs) that is so funny I swear, I think like I am such an 80s queen. I love everything from the 80s. And this to me is the ultimate aesthetic of the 80s that I love. It is the ultimate 80s. I was actually quite surprised because I don't remember it being such a like Cassavetes-esque film. Like it's like a study. It's like it's one of those films where people are like, New York is a character in this movie. Like it's kind of like (laughs) it's one of those, like all of the little sort of vignettes of like the people on the streets and like in the bars and stuff like that like I really didn't remember that about this film at all yeah and all the references to Wall Street and the hotels yeah it's very like it's just very 80s very 80s very 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 neoliberal very neoliberal and like very I don't know yeah just like the other thing that um, struck me about it is you know the scene where they're eating food where he's like feeding her food from the fridge yeah. Like obviously the director has like never lived with a flatmate before because if that was happening to you, <laughs> wouldn't you be like, oh my god, was that the jelly? That's not my jelly. That's my flatmate's jelly. Like you, like she was saving it. Like you'd be really anxious about like what what's, what he's getting out of the fridge. You'd be like, no, no, that's not mine. Put it back. <laughs> like, I know. Like where were the post-its with people's names on them? Exactly. Like and like no one in you. I know about New York. People cannot afford that many strawberries. Like. <laughs> You can't get fresh fruit, like, in such vast quantities. <laughs> like, unrealistic. <laughs> and also the impossibility of when they come in, Elizabeth tells her, her flatmate, like, oh, there's a man on the premises. Mm-hmm. And, like, trying to be quiet and, like, you know, tiptoes. And then there's that in front of the fridge making a mess. Making and, like, a mess and, like, shrieking. Yeah. Shrieking. Like... Shrieking, yeah, exactly. Like something's not adding up. Definitely, unless it's just like um, it just it shows like how far she's come, how far she's how far she's gone. She already is that she's like not respectful to her flatmate. Like... <laughs> That's the ultimate litmus test of like chaotic relationship. And doesn't her flatmate? But doesn't her flatmate like date her ex? Yeah. So like, really, neither of them are good flatmates. <laughs> Or maybe the flatmate was like, you know what? Like, she fucking comes home, like, screams. The kitchen's, like, covered in honey. And, like, she ate my jelly that I was saving for a dinner party. So, yeah, I'm going to go and bang her ex. Like, maybe that's what happened in this film. Oh, my God. It's actually, like, a flatmate horror story. (laughs) I love this reading. (laughs) I love it. The fact that you're me very anxious. I was like, I don't like this. Yeah, there's a lot going on with that flatmate because they also work together. Yeah, that is very strange. Like weird stuff, weird stuff going on. I think because I discovered the book first and then I watched the movie, put me in this mindset of people doing naughty things and constantly pushing the envelope Mm -hmm. so it's like this whole relationship is I love that it's called nine and a half weeks because it tells us that they're already going to break up like in the title we know that they don't stay together yeah it's finite right so knowing that 
And then like the little baby steps at first of what gets done, like, hey, do you want to put this blindfold on? You know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and then, a, you know, a little bit of temperature play with the ice cubes to then like, you know, the extreme stuff. And again, it's much more extreme in the book. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not that extreme in the film. No, in the film, it's not that extreme. It's really not. And I know that that was an unfortunate result of pressure from the studio mm-hmm. because they were concerned about it getting like, well, you know, one of those ratings that then means like it affects distribution and not as many people get to see it. Yeah, yeah. And actually it did bomb in the US, but it was a huge international box office success. It made over $100 million worldwide. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah. It was massive. No one saw that coming. It became like this. It really became a meme for its time. Like it stole headlines and it did actually tackle a lot of taboos that ended up getting normalized in public discussions around diversity and sex practices. You know, I think I was just, this reminds me of something. Yeah. Of like the need for these films is like sometimes so people can put into words something that they've been like dealing with alone or like. Yeah. I remember once meeting a guy at a club when I was like 20 and he was like, have you seen that film The Secretary? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, do you want to go home and do that? <laughs> like, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, right on and that's so like I don't know it was like real shorthand (laughs) yes and I bet this was like real shorthand for people like all you had to be is all you had to do is like say I really love that movie nine and a half weeks and like people would know what you liked exactly like what a public service I think so I think again it's like it's a film that's not being it's not being preachy about its content. So it's not trying to promote a certain message. It's literally just, it's, it's working from the source material of the of the book. You could argue that the book actually has a much darker tone. It's not just that they do weird sex stuff. There, there's like criminal stuff in there. Mm. You know, he even like coerces Elizabeth into committing a violent mugging in an elevator. Jesus Christ. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they get off on that. So, the movie is working from that material and it's like leaning into the taboo once again without ever having like a teachable moment as an objective. It's literally just representing something. Then that becomes super relatable. I mean, I remember in like the late 80s, there were like sitcoms that would reference this movie. It was, again, like you said, shorthand to doing kinky stuff. Mm -hmm. So like, especially with around food like the food scene is like the I think the most popular scene yeah it's like iconic I remember they showed that to us in university really yeah I actually did a porn elective Uh I think I did a porn elective now I say that it sounds crazy but I think I did (laughs) and but like and they showed that and like other because they weren't allowed to show us actual porn Mm -hmm. like they were like you have to go home watch porn but like we'll show you like we're going to talk about like erotic cinema in this course I'm trying to remember it was a weird course (laughs) but I just remember I just remember thinking it was probably the first time I saw that scene I just remember thinking it's super messy um different things are like erotic in different decades and I feel like we're really well I guess like there's still some definitely something about girls eating on the internet yes exactly but that's like kind of seems a bit more niche Whereas in like the 80s, like I feel like food and sex was like full on mainstream sexy. 
Yes, it was. Maybe because of this movie. I think this movie had a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it broke down a lot of barriers. Yeah. Especially with, like, S&M and, you know, hiring a sex worker, going mm-hmm. to sex clubs, even, like, klepto play. Yeah. You know, like, exhibitionist sex, like, sex in public. You know what it's doing, I feel, is, and I think it's really down to like the incredible chemistry between Kim Basinger and Mickey Rourke. There's, so, I think I find them both incredibly hot. Maybe that's what works for me. I, maybe that's not to your taste. Well, isn't that's credit to Kim, I guess, because didn't they not get on? Yeah, they didn't get on at all. Like it's credit to both of them, I suppose. But like, yeah. I feel like I've, I know, I think I listened to, I listened to the Karina Longworth episode yeah. and yeah, like it sounded like she had a quite a hard time. Um, oh, yeah. And he yeah. was a bit like, he was very, he was like quite a sort of like a directorial presence. Yes. On the film set. So like she, he had like a lot more control than her over what was happening. Yeah, for sure. And I've also read that uh, Adrian Lynn wanted to film sequentially. Yeah. To, sh- to show like the, the build up because it goes step by step, you know, every taboo that's broken is more advanced than the previous one Mm -hmm. so he wanted to capture I guess the 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 dynamics of that on film so he insisted on doing it sequentially yeah I think that she did have a hard time with it of course like her character Elizabeth like she is conflicted about what she's doing in this relationship but I just find them both so hot and I do feel like they do have chemistry on the screen they do definitely I feel like it's believable yeah Um, even if maybe they, they didn't get on or they didn't see eye to eye or whatever. And so I bite into the fantasy of the movie and there's something about this entire thing that just speaks to me. <laughs> maybe it's more a reflection of my own like psychosexual development. He is extremely withholding, which is so ironic because he's he says he wants to take care of her in every way. Like he brushes her hair, um, he lays out her clothes, he feeds her, he washes her. Yeah, I thought that the most perverse part of the movie was when he feeds her soup. Like he's like, <laughs> you know, that they're out in the rain, she gets a cold and he feeds her soup. I was yeah. like, that is the most perverse thing I've, I've seen in this film. Because it like, it's like, it's reminiscent of like this idea of like, making someone sick and then nursing them back to health like yeah phantom thread phantom thread yeah like i was like oh that's the creepiest thing i've seen 100 is like him feeding her soup but that is exactly what he's doing he's he is he's corrupting her yeah he's making her sick and twisted the way that he is mm-hmm. and she so- does like she kind of like bests him in all of the most of the scenes yeah like when she like stabs that guy in, the, in like the sewers wherever they are like um and when like after they like he's blindfolds her and like the sex worker comes in she's the one that like runs to the um yeah. sex club it's like how do you know where a sex club is <laughs> like <laughs> exactly. and um and like kisses that guy who looks like her ex her ex yeah um i think it's disappointing for her that she doesn't get to like full-on have sex with someone else yeah. So, like, because I feel like that's like would be I don't know, like, not, like a natural progression. Natural progression, and I would like want that for her character. Yeah. But like, you know, that she like goes and she like like follows through on her plan, or is like allowed to follow through on her plan. Yeah. But he doesn't let her. So. 
but you're right. She is the one who demonstrates a greater potential for realizing the fa- the fantasies to their logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of also like the striptease, you know? Yeah. Um, because she like ends up like they're, they end up like on the roof and she reveals herself naked there. Mm-hmm. You know, that that probably wasn't in his script. Yeah. She, you know, she does top him all the time. But that is the point because here's the thing. Like, I feel like she's very much like the artist that she commissions for her gallery, Farnsworth, mm-hmm. in the sense that he's this guy who's so talented, apparently. I mean, I saw his stuff in the movie. It's not really to my taste. No, but, you know, let's in the 80s, let's pretend. It's the 80s and it's coded as him being like this genius, right? Well, so like, remember that, so let's remember that the 80s was like very minimal, abstract, yeah. like all of that stuff that was like booming. It's like very conceptual, very yes. minimal. And like, he's a painter. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know, just throwing a little exactly. bit of art world knowledge in there. Like he's very going against the grain. Spot on. Exactly. Yeah. So he is like coded as being extremely talented, very gifted, but he's also a recluse. Mm-hmm. He's hard to contact. Um, you know, he doesn't pick up his phone calls. He is unpredictable. They don't know whether they're even going to ha- be able to have the launch in time because he hasn't been in touch. But they just know that this guy, he's the real deal in terms of talent. Mm-hmm. And he, everyone's like intrigued by him. He's the talk of the art world, whatever. So when she goes and sees him to try and make human contact with him and like just sort of like touch base, he's not in New York City. He's like outside in this kind of country setting. And he sort of speaks in riddles. Mm. I, I don't know whether we're, we're, we're invited to think that he may be like have maybe has dementia or he's just super disengaged or depersonalized. I don't know what his deal is. But he speaks almost like a Buddha or something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then he does like, you know, finish his works and they have the launch. And Ronnie Wood is at the party. I know I noticed that. That was so funny. (laughs) That was hilarious. But I think that he serves something in the movie to tell us something about Elizabeth's sexuality. That she is also so full of potential and so creative and has this enormous sexual power that is sort of untapped Mm. all she needs is a curator (laughs) (laughs) like a really good gallerist who like is really just pulling this stuff out of her I think, and maybe this is a controversial thing to say, but I think that sometimes, not always, I'm not saying that this is a recipe for perfect relationships, but maybe at some points in your life, maybe especially early on, if you've been really sheltered or really like, especially as women, I mean, I know I certainly can speak to this. I I grew up in a very sheltered way. I was very discouraged from expressing anything erotic. And I had a lot of like, pent up confusion around that stuff you know sometimes if you're lucky at least in my case it happened I was lucky that I met someone at a time in my life who was just like this spark and this catalyst for sexual expression that was sort of structured you know he was a very dominant figure and I was like somehow responded very positively to that sexual structure and he just drew all of this stuff out of me 
and I got to know myself. And it was a difficult relationship to sustain because he was emotionally unavailable. But I learned so much. That's so beautiful. That's so true as well. Like, and I think actually at any time of our lives, we can have that. Um, and actually it's so interesting to think of like the people that I've had sex with as good or bad curators as opposed <laughs> to like good or bad people because yeah. it changes the like what that is you know like it changes whether they're good or bad or not if you think of them more as curators than people <laughs> <laughs> yeah and yeah I think that's a really nice way of looking at it but I was very upset by the scene of the party yeah. I found it very upsetting that yeah, it was like, upsetting. she's like crying and she appears to be crying because of Farnsworth Farnsworth's like discomfort or yeah. like out yeah. out of placeness. So she's not a good curator to him because she well, brought him into this like place where no one like appreciates him. No, there's no meaningful connection. Yeah. It is very upsetting and he looks extremely out of place and uncomfortable mm -hmm. and she's crying. Like yeah. it's it's not a joyful scene at all. But that's why this relationship has to end because when you reach the point of exhibition, like true, you know, not the sexual exhibition that they were doing before, the actual exhibition in the gallery, that's when you know you have to exit because the creative process has come to its natural end and you know it's a departure she was just there to like get the stuff out of him she was mm -hmm. like the excuse that was needed for him to do his work just like john was the the guy yes he had a whole plan for what she was going to do it was all very scripted very formal you know mm -hmm. but if he hadn't put those little steps in her path and hadn't instructed her i think she would have been still very pent up and with some things not expressed so yes it is sad at the point of exhibition it is sad but I think it's also the end of a process and you, it's sad because you know that that process has come to an end and also that a lot of people are now viewing you in this way you know a lot of people are now like gazing upon your sexuality and not all of them are going to understand you some of them are just there because they're just at an opening and they want to be seen mm. you know what I mean yeah like, it made I, me feel guilty for all the art openings I've been to where I had <laughs> drinks hey we've all done it I know I feel terrible though <laughs> like but from, but isn't it interesting to think about like from an art from that kind of expressive perspective it's so interesting and it really changes the whole film as I knew you would oh, I'm so glad I could do this for you because I want everyone to love this film honestly like I I truly adore not just this like, the relationship dynamics but everything about how she looks that's that is my like style goals oh my god Who, yeah she looks amazing whoever, whoever dressed her and did her hair and makeup deserves a lifetime achievement award at the Oscars. Mm -hmm. If I were to make like a mood board for for my style, this this is it. Um, I do really like the soundtrack. I have to say that <laughs> only because it has two Canadian singers on there. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like a rare kind of like a Canada heavy soundtrack. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I really love what happens between them, even though it's extremely... 
it is taboo. Like it is very taboo to think about a woman enjoying this kind of power dynamic in a relationship. And um, I like that this movie sort of like leans into that once again. But I would argue the book does so more. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> curious to read the book now. <laughs> really curious. Like, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I did like the little kleptomania scene. I do like women stealing in films. It's kind of one of my oh. one of my collections. Yes, isn't it a good one? Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> so, what do you think? What would you say is your favorite? sex scene or or vignette in the movie is it is it the department store one or something else let me think what is my favorite <laughs> i mean i like to crawl on the floor yeah yeah classic it goes wrong so yeah but it's classic it's good um yeah. and hmm, i'm trying to think of all of their sex scenes i really like the cross-dressing Oh yeah, I like the cross dressing too. But she seems like she she seems like struck dumb. Like she's just like making these like cartoonish like Charlie Chaplin faces. Yeah, the whole time. Yeah, um, and I do like I do like it when they're in the bar with all the Wall Street guys beforehand. Oh my god, that is so hot. And I like it when he takes. I mean, I'm such a like my sexuality is like so capitalist. I like it when he takes her shopping, yeah. like and gets her that suit, like. <laughs> Oh, it's amazing. That's the sexiest thing for me. <laughs> the gorgeous suit that he buys her, the gorgeous yeah. vertigo suit. Yeah, he just drops the cash on the counter. Yeah. yeah. It's very hot. It's very hot. <laughs> any of the listeners out there, if there's any billionaires in the chat who that wants to take us shopping. Yeah, we want to do that. We want to do that. We'll podcast from the changing rooms. <laughs> I am so down. Yeah, 100%. Actually, Alex, my boyfriend who you found for me, yeah. <laughs> um he t- he takes me shopping sometimes. Oh, dream. So dreamy. Very cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I really love the cross dressing. I liked I like the strip tees. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how she's always filmed with like like backlit. Yes. I mean like that's such a projections image of her yes. looking at slides in the basement yeah. actually I really like that scene yeah I really like that scene a lot yeah I just yeah I just like all the stuff she gets like the no. watch the suit I like love the watch. I love the watch it's amazing she looks amazing she does look amazing <laughs> and she looks better throughout the film like I do like this kind of Svengali effect on her outfits yeah. Uh-huh. Because she's kind of wearing like little girl costumes a little mm-hmm. bit. Like she wears like, like little white trainers and stuff like that. And then by the end of it, she's wearing like heels. Yeah. But she's like sort of kept her like silhouettes, her like long coat and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I love the long yeah. coats. The coats are amazing. Amazing. Best dressed for life. Yeah. Like, I don't understand how they created this divine enduring image that gets better with every year yeah I don't either I don't either it's so good (laughs) so good I love it I just want to exist in that world perpetually yeah it's beautiful Um, it really is huge fan (laughs) (laughs) that was very good I'm really impressed with the whole curator thing oh thank you it's beautiful (laughs) thank you so much (laughs) <laughs> I like how we kind of we always come back to creativity yeah in some way like it's been like kind of an enduring theme for quite a few series it really has 
Like, Which is probably why we should do a dedicated series on because it was your idea to do like artists the artistic process on film oh yeah I've forgotten about that did we have that in our most recent poll I'm not sure if we did did we oh we didn't yeah we should put that back let's put it back yeah yeah (laughs) although like maybe it would be ironic that like when we do it we actually won't have anything to say Like, you've exhausted all of the yeah Yeah, because we've actually talked about the artistic process on screen a lot already all along and we'll find like actual films about art that aren't really about art they're about something else like they'll be about sex yeah all the films about sex are about art and all the films about art are going to be about sex maybe that's the trick to creative success is you don't make it the focus you make it just the process yeah exactly Yeah. Yeah. It's not the destination, it's the journey. So that's why we've been able to see that come out yeah. in all of these different titles and and themes across the series. But, you know, it's because it, it sort of organically revealed itself. We didn't chase after it. Yeah. And that's how, that's, uh, that's, I really like the format of our podcast in that way, that we don't yeah. really know what the series is going to be about. Exactly. It's truly psychoanalytic because we're really free associating. Yeah, it is. It is. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is great. Next time we've got fetish, fetish, and we've got kind of a similar film. Yeah, secretary, secretary, um, and the night porter. Controversial, very controversial. Lars von Trier's favorite film. No way, really. Yeah, yeah. Cool. That's so cool. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh my god, I heard about Lars von Trier. Um, Parkinson's? Did you I say? Know. Yeah. Oh my god, that's so sad. So sad. I can't believe it. I hope that he's okay. I know. It was devastating to hear that. But it was very reassuring at the same time that he said that he wants to remain working. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure nothing could stop him working. No. I mean, probably from his perspective, he feels like, I mean, I, I can't speculate, but maybe he feels like he survived worse than this because he had terrible depression. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's like a sort of a relief, not a relief exactly. No, but if you but have yeah. like mental illness your whole life, like yeah. to have a physical illness can be... Maybe like, more manageable? Maybe, yeah, a little bit more manageable or like provide you kind of answers. But, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, it's a bit like um, Justine and Melancholia. yeah. Like she has something practical that she can focus on. Exactly. I think I definitely felt that with my endometriosis. Mm. Like in a way, it made me feel a lot better to have that diagnosis. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. So interesting. But yeah. I just hope, I just hate the thought of him suffering, you know, he's suffered so much. I know, but he likes it. (laughs) (laughs) That's his fetish. Exactly. You know, let's, uh, let's be real. (laughs) He'll be all right. He'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what? I hope he outlives us all. Yeah, he totally will. He 100% yeah, he will. He totally will. Totally will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, I will see you at the weekend. Yes, yeah, see you at the weekend. Um, for our audience, we'll see you in two weeks yeah. with our next episode. <laughs> Bye. Bye.